right, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open them to the Gospel of John. And uh, today we are going to be in John chapter uh, 14. John chapter 14, our verses that we're going to focus on are that today are verses 4 through 11. Uh, but just for the sake of context, I, I want to start reading from verse 1 and read through uh, verse 11 so that you can get the full picture of, of what we are looking at today. So let's go ahead and do that. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And wait, from now on, do you do know him and have seen him. Uh, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and if it, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? However, or whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, we continue our walk in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. As I said last week, if you were here last week, I said it was um, one of the most comforting uh, chapters in the whole Bible. It is tremendous. And if you've never studied it, again, I continue to recommend that you go back and study John chapter 14 and look at it from a perspective of what God has promised us and, and the hope that we have in his return. And it's one of those chapters in the Bible that, that um, requires you to really just dig deep, stay in there for a little bit, and hang on every single word. And uh, I think that will help you as we walk through John chapter 14. But uh, last week we talked about the comfort that we all have as Christians uh, because Christ is going to the Father, as the Bible says in verses 1 through 3. And he's going to uh, the Father because, number one, there's been a place reserved for us. And that in itself is like great news uh, because we don't deserve this place that's been reserved for us, but yet it's there. And um, we don't deserve it. There's no way that we should even be there. And yet God has reserved this place for us out of his mercy and out of his grace. So just at that fact alone that we have a place reserved for us, we should just, you know, be elated and, and, and praise his name. But also, he not only goes, Christ not only goes to a place that's reserved for us, he goes to prepare this place for us. Um, it's, it's, it's tailor-made for us. Not Again, not pointing to the fact that, that we should have it or, or we deserve to have it, but God in his mercy and his grace is preparing a place for all of his children. And uh, Christ is the one who is doing this for us. And it says that in verse 2. Then in verse 3, here's the, like, like the, the cherry on top, the, the dessert that you want. Uh, it's Christ coming back for us. Uh, not only is there a place for us, uh, 
Christ is preparing it, but then he's coming back for us. And not just coming back for us and, and just to see how we're doing. It's not like a status check or anything like that. The Bible says he's coming back for us to take us to be where he's at. Now, all that sounds wonderful. But what follows, verses 4 through 11, are very interesting, and there's a lot to learn there. Because this place that he has prepared for us, uh, number one, we have to acknowledge that it's greater than our current place. It's greater than, I mean, again, we need to have an outlook, a positive outlook on the world we live in. Because God has created it, and what God has done is good. And we have to acknowledge that because scripture acknowledges that. Everything that God has created was good. Now, sin came into the world. And we suffer with sin and we suffer with the consequences of sin. Um, That part is not good because we cause that. But yet what God has created is good. But we have to acknowledge that this place that we have prepared for us um, is better than our current place. Why? Because it's a place of rest. It's a place of peace. It's a place of of grand majesty, things that we've never seen before. Uh, When we go there, we're going to be in awe, not only of God, but we're going to be in awe of what he has prepared for us. It's a place of pure joy, and it's also a place of security. It's all those things, and when we witness it for the first time, or when we witness it for eternity, it's going to just blow us away. So it is a place of grand majesty. But with this promise of such a place for us, we can't help but get excited about it. I hope that you're excited about it, because this is the hope that God has placed in your heart. Like, we as Christians, I don't think we get as excited about heaven as we should. Why? Because I think we're so entangled with earth. We're so entangled with this world that we forget about getting excited about what's ahead. But the Bible tells us that what we are going through now, it pales in comparison to what God has in store for us as God's people. Everything that we go through, it's just God's like, don't worry about that. What I have prepared for you, you're going to forget all about that. That's nothing. And, and we, we get caught up in our issues, our troubles. We get caught up in, in the stress of life. We get caught up in chasing idols. We get caught up in everything here on this earth, and we forget that, hey, we're not from here. We need to look ahead. We need to remember the hope that God has placed in our hearts, and we need to get excited about that because it is something to get excited about. But... The, the awesome thing about us being excited about heaven is where do we go from here and also how do we get there? I think that's the more important question. How do we get there? Well, when we look at verses 4 through 11, we find that answer. Um, because if heaven is a real place, and I'm here to tell you it is. Why? Because God's word says it is and God's word is truth. So if you are a Christian, heaven is a real place. Um, Don't you want to know how to get there? I know I do. And as I said before, that question is answered in our text. So let's look at our text, verses 4 through 5. There's a very important question posed, and that's how can we know the way? See, Jesus, uh, when Jesus revealed the majesty of, of heaven to the disciples, it was greater than anything they could have imagined. You have to remember that they started to follow Jesus because they thought they were going to rule on earth with him. They thought he was coming to restore the, the, the majesty and the grandeur of, of Israel and restore that, that country and their people. So they thought they were going to take over the world. 
they were going to, you know, just basically get rid of Roman rule and, and just rule the world with him. And they, they thought this throughout the earthly ministry. It wasn't until later. And so we're starting to see it now to where they understand that this isn't an earthly thing that Jesus is doing. It, it's much more than that. So for them, they're thinking locally, and Jesus is revealing something greater. So it's, it's, it's greater than anything they've ever imagined. And everything about it sounded great, but there was only one problem. We see that they wondered how they would find it after Jesus was gone. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus tells them, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, Thomas is the one who speaks up here. And Thomas is beat up a lot by us when we read him in Scripture. We look at Thomas and we're just like, man, that dude Thomas. I tell you, he just doesn't get it right. Thomas, Peter, uh, James, they're they're beat up a lot in scripture, but especially Thomas. We know him by doubting Thomas, right? But let's be honest. If we were there at that time, at that moment, you and I would likely be Thomas and not Peter. We would more likely be Thomas and not James or John. We like to think that we would be somebody else, but we would be Thomas. We would want to see. We would want to know. And Thomas is just asking good questions. To me, this is actually a good question. If if you're not going to be here to show us the way, how how are we going to know? If we don't know where this place is, how do we know? uh, You know, how do we get there? Or how do we know to get there? So Thomas is the one who speaks up and And he represents us. Why? Because he speaks uh, from doubt and he speaks from ignorance. That's us. If you really catch yourself throughout the day and your thoughts about God and your thoughts about your life and your thoughts on, on, on how well God takes care of you, I guarantee if you were to mark it up, you would see that you speak a lot from doubt and ignorance. Come on, right? That's not something we like to acknowledge, but that's where we speak from, from doubt and ignorance, because we think we know the plans of God. We think we know the plans of our life, and yet we are humbled every single day. Because it is God, it is God who not only makes the plans, but he also makes us walk in them. But we think we know better, so we are just like Thomas. We speak from doubt and we speak from ignorance. And he wasn't the only one thinking this way. He was, he was the one who spoke up for the group. But basically what Thomas is asking is this. If we don't know the destination of this place that you have prepared for us, then how can we know the way? He's a typical guy. Right? Guys need direction. And I don't mean in life. We need direction in life, but I mean directions. Guys like directions. Anytime you, anytime you invite a guy somewhere, it's like, okay, and how do I get there? Where is this place? They want specific directions on how to get there. I'm not saying that women aren't like that, but I think it, it, it's really, guys are really like that. They think that way. Thomas is like, I don't know where this place is. How do you expect me to get there? 
how are we supposed to know? Seems like a good question. But see, Thomas is thinking on earthly terms, and Jesus is speaking about spiritual things. And I'm grateful that he asked, though, because it does bring up a good question. If we don't know where heaven is, then how can we know the way when our time comes? I think most of us, when you ask, where's heaven? First thing we do is we look up, right? Where's hell? We look down. Other than that, we don't know. It's this, heaven is this wonderful, great, majestic place that God has prepared for us. But how do we get there? Jesus answers that, verses 6 and 7. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, we find our answer in Christ. And it shouldn't surprise us. Right? It is in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. He is our whole life. He gives us life. So all of our answers we find in Christ. And so when we want to know how do we get this, to this place that God has prepared for us, well, the answer is Christ. And it shouldn't surprise us that he is the way to God and he is the way to heaven. Now, notice some very specific uh, language here that is used in this verse. And I know you've heard this before, but I think it, it, is, it is worth mentioning. Notice that scripture does not say that Jesus is a way. We have to acknowledge that. He is not a way to God. There are people who believe in many different idols. And that's what we call them because that's in reality, that's what they are. There's only one God. There's only one son of God. And the only way to God is through his son. That's why he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no one else but him. It's just like when you go somewhere, there's multiple ways to get there. Um, anytime I go anywhere, I, I like, I'm a back road guy. I like the back road. I like the scenic route. It drives my family crazy sometimes because I, it may add 30 to 45 minutes to a trip, but I just, I like the back roads. And if I'm driving, that's where we're going to go. But when we talk about God and we talk about heaven, there is no back road. There's only one way. And it's only through Christ. See, Thomas and all the disciples are thinking of a directional way to this place God has prepared for them. But Jesus shows them the true way. And Jesus tells them that to know him is to know the way. And also to know him is to know the father. I think that's fascinating. It is a, a wonderful response. And it took me, as a young Christian, it took me a while to, to understand this because I was so stuck on just the, the earthly directional thing in my head. I couldn't get past that. But his answer is, is, is so profound because to know him is to know the Father. Why? Because Hebrews 1.3 tells us that he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is God in the flesh. And we find out here in just a couple of verses that if we see Christ, then we see the Father. If we see the Father, then we see Christ. Jesus is revealing 
the way to the Father, the way to heaven, and it's through him. See, Jesus is the way to God because why? He is the truth of God. When you look at that phrase, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you put it together, and that's exactly what it means. He is the way to God because he is the truth of God. There's only truth found in him. To put your faith in anything else is to put your faith in something that is false. So if we place our faith in Christ, we place our faith in truth. Therefore, he is the way to God. But then we continue. Jesus is the way of God, is the way of God because he is the life of God. John has already talked about that, that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's all the way to the beginning of this gospel. So he is the way, why? Because he is the truth and because he is the life. Tremendous. And I was, uh, as I was studying for this sermon, I came across a quote from Thomas Kempis. And um, it's a wonderful quote on this passage here, and I want to read it to you. I'm not normally a big quote guy, but uh, this one is really, really good, and I, I hope that it blesses you. He says, follow, follow thou me. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. Tremendous. That's exactly what that verse means. He is everything to us. And the reason why he is everything to us is because he is the truth and the life. No one else can claim this. No other idol can claim this. Only the God that we serve. You see, if they had truly known Jesus, then they would have known the way to God and also the way to this place of rest that has been prepared for them. And without Jesus, they were completely lost. Okay, so let's fast forward over 2,000 years to here and now. Let me tell you, nothing has changed. Nothing. Nothing has changed. There is no other way. God didn't create any kind of rabbit trails or anything to get to him. 2000, over 2,000 years later, and the way to God is still Christ. You see, to know Jesus is to know the way to God and to know the way to heaven. Without Jesus, we have neither. We have nothing. And that's why it's so important for us to ask the question to ourselves, who is Jesus? Who is he? And to answer that question right, truthfully, according to God's word. He is the son of God who died for our sins, who rose from the grave and who is seated at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. He is the almighty God he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we should serve him every single day. That's who he is. But what's interesting 
is what comes next. Verse 8, we have another spokesperson for the group. Here's Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So again, at this point, it seems like the group of disciples here, uh, they, they still don't get it. We can't be that hard on them. I honestly think we wouldn't have gotten it at that point in time. We're all reliant on the Spirit of God to teach us these things, and the Spirit never disappoints us. He does that when, when at the perfect time and when we need it. But here, they still don't get it, so, so Philip speaks up, and Philip's comment comes after Jesus says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him, when he's speaking about the Father, and he's speaking about his relation to the Father. Now, to the disciples, and I, I want to include all of them in it, because they are in agreement with Philip, and Philip is the one who is speaking up here, but to the disciples, it wasn't enough to see uh, the Father in Christ, they wanted to see the Father themselves. Christ is, is, has told them, he is in me, I am in him. When you see me, you see him. And Philip's like, I tell you what, this is what we want to do. If you show us the Father, we'll believe you. No problem. Just show us, we'll believe you. And what's funny about this passage is that this is not the first time someone has asked that question. It should remind you of, of Exodus 33 when Moses wanted to see God's face. Moses wanted to see God. He says, show me your glory. And remember God's response to him? I, I can't. I will not show you my glory. Because if I show you my face, you will die. And instead, God put him on the cleft of a, of a, of a, of a mountain put his hand over him, passed by him, and he saw the back of God where he couldn't see his face and live. I guarantee that this is what Philip is thinking about. He's thinking, if I just ask to see the Father, somehow, some way, we're going to see something that's going to blow our minds and we will have no doubt at that point and we're going to believe. How many times have we done this? Thrown a so-called fleece before God. If you will only do this, then I'll trust in you. If you will answer this prayer, then I'll really believe in you. That's exactly what is going on here with Philip. And Jesus answers him. And it, when Jesus answer, answers him, it, it addresses the lack of faith that he and we sometimes have in, in two things. Number one, in the salvific work of God, that is his ability to save us, and the sanctifying work of God, his ability to keep us and grow us. We have issues with that. We want to be in control of those things. So then we try to bargain with God. That's exactly what Philip is doing here. He's trying to bargain with God. Or I shouldn't just say Philip. I should say they all are doing it. They're in this together. They're trying to bargain with God. 
God cannot be bargained with. That's when Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? To me, that's, that's a strong statement there. Philip has been with Christ for these two years. He has seen everything that Christ has done, even things that were not recorded in this Bible. And yet, he's still asking for proof. Still asking for something that cannot be given to him. See, after seeing and experiencing everything they have with Christ, they still did not understand who he truly was. Not at this point. But obviously we know they would understand that. God would, would reveal it to them. But listen, I think that's important to notice. and That's important to, to note in our head because we are no different. We are no different. I want to ask you this morning, how long have you been a Christian? For some of us, it's years and years and years. And yet, how much do you doubt the power and the work of God? That's like something we never get rid of. Because we're always trying to trust in our flesh. We're always trying to have control over things. We're always trying to bargain with God. God, if you would only do this, then I would do this. But it doesn't work that way. We are no different. We have been Christians for so long and we still forget about the greatness of our Lord to save us, to sustain us, and to secure us. We forget about that. We need to remember that he is God. He is the creator. We are the creation. We need to know our place. Just like Philip and the disciples would learn their place, we need to know our place. We forget that faith, that faith is not seen. Right? If we could see what we wanted to see, then how would that be faith? If we're like, God, I know you have, I, I, I feel like you have this place prepared for me, but just show me, just show me my room. All right? Just show me my room, and I just want to see how it's laid out, and I want to make sure I'm okay with it. And, uh, and, and, and if, I, if you just show me my room, I'll, I'll believe it. But is that really faith? How about let's bring it down to everyday life. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to me with this coronavirus and everything that's going on. I just need to, I need to know that you're going to protect me through this. Just give me a sign that me and my family are going to be okay. We don't need a sign. He's high and exalted. He's high and exalted. He is sovereign over us. He does what he wills. We cannot change his mind. He loves us like no one else does. You see, these are all truths out of God's word. That is the sign that we have. 
that we go back to truth, that we go back to his word, that we stay in his word, because that's the comfort that we have. We do not need to ask God for a sign, because why? Seeing is not faith. The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is believing and faith is hoping. That's what we should be doing every single day. See, but the problem that we've run into, and I, I want to include myself in this too because, you know, I don't only prepare these sermons for, for you all. God is preaching to me as I'm preparing these sermons, but the, the thing that we have to remember is that, yeah, we might worry about things here or there, and that's normal, so to speak. But be on the lookout when everything that comes into your life you're worried about. Trusting God and suffering from anxiety, they, they, that doesn't mix. It doesn't mix. You've lost control. Now you think everything depends on what you do, what you say, how you handle things. That you have this internal power to be able to overcome everything. You need to know your place. So for you to suffer with anxiety, it's, it's gotten past the point of no return. You've sinned against God. Because you have lost trust in him. But we should not. We should not lose trust in God. We should believe and we should hope. And listen, this is from a guy who in 2012, 2013, 2014 was in and out of a hospital because anxiety, because of stress, because of all those things. That's why I can confidently stand up here and speak about this to you. Been there, done that, still struggle with it. Need to let it go. Verse 11. He says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, Jesus' response to Philip here is going to bring it all home for us this morning. Jesus gives a command in verse 11, and it's simple yet profound. The only way for the disciples, and I, I want to include us in there, for the disciples and us to believe in Christ in all times, in all situations, the only way that that's going to be done, notice what Jesus says. Really, it's verse at the end of verse 10, and then um, it carries on. The answer is found within verse 10, but it carries on through verse 11. Um, Jesus says there are two things that we have to hold on to. Number one, he tells them, believe in my word. Number two, believe in my works. And he says it in this way. Believe in my words. And if you cannot believe in my words, then believe in my works. 
But the first command is to believe him at his word. But if we struggle there for some reason or another, like, like the, the disciples were struggling, then we need to look at his works throughout creation and especially in our lives. Look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, this is, this is where the words of God come in. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Then he says in verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So in order for us to believe in Christ in all times, through all situations, we have to believe his word. What Jesus says is tied to God because he is the father and the father is in him. And as I said before, if you need assurance about anything in life, we need to go back to his word. It's, it's really nice and really cool to go back and talk to people that you trust that, that's also part of the fellowship of the saints, the, the fellowship of the church, to go and speak with your Christian brother and sister about anything that you're struggling with. That's wise to do. But we cannot go there and neglect his word. And hopefully that Christian brother or sister that you're talking to is pointing you to his word. Yeah, they have encouragement for you they have wisdom for you but all the while they're appointing you to go back to God's word and see what he has to say about that situation if God has said he's going to do it we must believe it if God has said nothing about doing it then we can't put words in his mouth we're bound by his word So it's our responsibility to become students of his word, to understand it. Not to make it our own or to make it say what we want it to say, but truly understand what it is saying and to share that. The second thing, believe in his works. What the Lord has done for you. Listen, by the grace of God, you are who you are. That's profound. I look back at my life. Can't believe it. I know many of you feel the same way. You didn't get here on your own. Through the grace of God, you are who you are. Why stop believing in his works when he's been faithful to you all your life? when you didn't know how things were going to come together, when you were in your deepest, darkest valley, when you needed to be comforted, he's always been there. Don't start doubting now. Believe in his word, or believe his word, and believe his works. So the question is not if Christ is the way, or if he is the truth, or if he is the life. Look, this is the real question this morning. Do you believe that Christ is the way, is the truth, and is the life? 
That's the question. He is who he is, but do you believe it? And if he is the way, then listen very carefully. You must follow him. We must forsake everything else. Christ has said we must follow him. We must, we must forsake the world. We must forsake whatever it is that is pulling at our hearts, and we must just worship God, and that's it. We cannot give our hearts to any other idol. So if he is the way, then you must follow him. If there's been something that's preventing you from following him, from serving him, then get rid of it. If you're going to sit here, you're going to say, yes, Christ is the way to me. Then you better show it. And if he is the truth, then you must obey him. If you're going to sit here and say, yes, Christ is my truth, but yet you're ripping out pages of the Bible and you're only following things you want to follow, you better wake up. Truth is truth. If he is our truth, if he is the truth, excuse me, you must obey him. And if he is the life, then you must receive him. And him is life to the full. And if you acknowledge that Jesus is the life and yet you don't see him as the son of God and savior of the world and the only way to God, you don't have life. Because the only way to have life is to have Christ. These are the things that we have to remember as we serve our Lord. Pray it was an encouragement to you.